Hey there, fellow believers and God chasers. It's Evan Evans. And do I have something special for you today? You know how sometimes we throw around big words like kingship and lordship when we talk about Jesus, but maybe don't stop to really dig into what they mean? Well, today is the day we roll up our sleeves and dive in deep. Listen, we're not just talking about any king here. We're talking about the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus himself. And this isn't just some lofty, up-in-the-sky concept. This is real life, down-to-earth, impacts-the-way-you-live-your-day kind of stuff. Imagine walking into your week knowing you're not just a follower of Jesus, but an actual co-heir with him. Yeah, you heard that, right? You've got royal blood flowing through your spiritual veins. Now, I know what you're thinking. That sounds great, Evan, but what does it mean for me, like, right now? Well, that's exactly what we're going to unpack. How does being part of this kingdom change the way you handle stress, relationships, or even your dreams and ambitions? Trust me, it changes everything. We're going to journey through the Bible, pull lessons from history, and even break down some Hebrew and Greek words that will make you go, whoa, why didn't anyone tell me this before? Whether you're listening for Bible study or you are someone who just loves Jesus, you're going to get some serious nuggets of wisdom that you can apply right away. So go ahead, grab your favorite cup of tea or coffee and settle in. This isn't just another podcast episode. This is spiritual meat for those who are hungry for more of God. Are you ready to not just hear about the kingdom, but actually start living like a true citizen of it? If that's you, then you're in the right place. Stick around, because we're about to go on a kingdom adventure that will transform the way you live your faith. Let's do this. Welcome to the God Chaser Podcast, the ultimate destination for those yearning to cultivate a passionate, intimate relationship with God. Join your host, Evan Evans, as he explores the depths of scripture, shares inspiring testimonies, and provides practical guidance to help you become a true God Chaser. Discover the transformative power of pursuing God's presence and be inspired to reignite your spiritual journey. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts and get ready to embark on an adventure that will change your life forever. Welcome to the God Chaser Podcast. Let the chase begin. Hey everyone, welcome back to the God Chaser Podcast. I'm Evan Evans, and today we've got something really special for you. We're diving into the big topic of Jesus being the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, this isn't just some fancy title we're throwing around. We're talking about something that can totally change how you see God, yourself, and the world. But we're not just going to talk about high and mighty stuff. We're going to bring it down to earth, to your day-to-day -day life. Because let's be honest, what's the point of talking about a kingdom if it doesn't change how we live and treat others, right? So whether you've been a believer for years or you're just curious about spiritual stuff, this episode is going to give you some real aha moments. Maybe it'll even change the way you see things. So grab your go-to cup of tea, get comfy, and let's dive into this amazing topic. By the end, you won't just be a listener. You'll be on this journey with us, eager to discover more about these incredible truths. So let's dive in. From a biblical perspective, the title King of Kings and Lord of Lords is most famously found in Revelation chapter 19, verses 16. It's a title that encapsulates Jesus' ultimate authority over all earthly and heavenly realms. But this isn't the only place in the Bible where we see hints of Jesus' supreme authority. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 15 to 16, Paul refers to God as the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords. In ancient times, titles like king and lord were the ultimate symbols of authority. Kings ruled nations and lords managed large territories or groups of people. But when the Bible calls Jesus the king of kings and lord of lords, it's making a bold statement. 
Jesus' authority surpasses all earthly rulers. He's not just another king in a long line of kings. He's the king above all kings. His lordship isn't confined to a territory. It encompasses all of creation. The Hebrew language in which much of the Old Testament was written has a way of emphasizing importance through repetition. In Hebrew, the word for king is melech, and for lord, it's Adon. When these titles are doubled up as in king of kings and lord of lords, it serves as a superlative. It's the Hebrew way of saying Jesus is the highest of all, the ultimate authority. The idea that Jesus is a king is a big deal, and it's something the Bible talks about from start to finish. It's like a story that started way before Jesus was even born and keeps going forever. So let's dig into it. The Magi's Quest, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 2. The Magi, or wise men, were not just random travelers, they were scholars, likely well-versed in the prophecies concerning the Messiah. Their quest to find the King of the Jews was a monumental acknowledgement of Jesus' royal status. The very stars aligned to announce His birth, and these learned men from the East followed that celestial sign, understanding its profound implications. This wasn't just a king of earthly dominion, this was a king whose reign was written in the heavens. Old Testament prophecy, Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 to 14. Now let's rewind the tape to the Old Testament. Daniel's vision is a cosmic trailer of what's to come. He sees the Son of Man given authority over all nations. This isn't a temporary gig, it's an eternal, unshakable kingdom. The Hebrew context here is rich. The term Son of Man is Bar Enosh in Aramaic, a term that signifies both humanity and divinity. It's a kingdom that's both in this world and beyond it, a reign that's both now and forever. Jesus' own words, John chapter 18, verse 36. Fast forward to Jesus himself, standing before Pilate. When questioned about his kingship, Jesus lays it out. My kingdom is not of this world. The Greek word for world here is cosmos, which refers not just to earth, but to the worldly system of governance and values. When Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world, it's like he's saying, you're playing a simple game, but I'm on a whole different level. While most leaders are stuck dealing with the rules and borders of their countries, Jesus is in charge of something way bigger and more meaningful. His kingdom isn't just about land or politics. It's a spiritual place that goes beyond anything we can fully understand. It's not just here on earth. It's everywhere and forever. So what does this mean for us living in the 21st century? It means that Jesus' kingship is relevant to every aspect of our lives. It's not just a theological concept to be admired. It's a lived reality. His rule should influence how we interact with others, how we make decisions, and even how we view ourselves. We're citizens of a kingdom that's both here and yet to come, governed by a king who is both majestic and intimately personal. So, whether you're negotiating a business deal, struggling with self-worth, or pondering the state of the world, remember, you're part of a kingdom that defies earthly logic. And that, my friends, is both comforting and incredibly empowering. The title Lord is also significant. In the New Testament, the word Kyrios is often used to refer to Jesus, emphasizing his divine authority. When Thomas encounters the resurrected Jesus, he exclaims in John chapter 20, verse 28, My Lord and my God, acknowledging both Jesus' lordship and divinity. For us as believers, this is more than just a theological point. It's a life-changing reality. We're not just subjects in this divine kingdom. We're co-heirs with Christ, as stated in Romans chapter 8, verse 17. 
That means we share in His authority and are called to represent His kingdom here on earth. So understanding Jesus as the King of kings and Lord of lords isn't just awe-inspiring. It's transformative. It changes how we see ourselves, how we interact with others, and most importantly, how we relate to God. It's not just about acknowledging Jesus as a powerful figure. It's about living in the reality that He is the ultimate authority. And through Him, we are empowered to live lives of purpose and significance. Let's dive deeper into this idea that Jesus' authority makes all other forms of earthly power look like child's play. It's a concept that's both thrilling and humbling, and it's rooted in the very fabric of Scripture and history, the biblical backdrop. Firstly, let's consider the biblical narrative. When the Bible refers to Jesus as the King of kings and Lord of lords, as seen in Revelation chapter 19, verse 16, it's making an audacious claim. This title is not just poetic, it's theological. It's saying that Jesus holds a position of authority that is unparalleled. He's not just one among many, he's the one above all. This is echoed in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 to 11, where Paul writes that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The historical lens. Now let's put on our historian hats for a moment. Throughout history, kings and queens have wielded enormous power. They've commanded armies, levied taxes, and enacted laws. But all their power was limited, limited to a geographical region, limited to a period of time, and most importantly, limited by their mortality. Jesus, on the other hand, is described in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8 as the same yesterday, today, and forever. His reign is not bound by time or space, the earthly versus the heavenly. What sets Jesus apart even more dramatically is the nature of his kingdom. Earthly kings rule earthly territories, but Jesus said in John chapter 18, verse 36, My kingdom is not of this world. His rule extends over heaven and earth, the physical and the spiritual, the now and the eternal. His is a kingdom where the last shall be first, Matthew chapter 20, verse 16, where the meek inherit the earth, Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, and where the pure in heart see God, Matthew chapter 5, verse 8 the nature of his authority. Moreover, the authority of Jesus is not just about command and control, it's about sacrificial love. He's not a king who demands service, he's a king who serves. Remember the scene in John chapter 13, verses 4 to 5, where Jesus, the king of the universe, washes his disciples' feet. That's a radically different kind of authority. It's power perfectly balanced with humility. Implications for believers. For us who believe in Him, this is not just a comforting thought, it's an empowering reality. We're not just subjects in His kingdom, we're ambassadors. We're not just recipients of His grace, we're conduits of His love. As Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ, representing a king and a kingdom that are beyond compare. So when we say Jesus' authority makes all other power look like child's play, we're not just making a statement of faith. We're acknowledging a fact of existence. Jesus is not just a king. He's the king to whom all other kings will one day bow. And that, my friends, is not just good news. It's the ultimate game changer for how we live our lives. In Hebrew, the language in which much of the Old Testament was written, repetition serves as a form of emphasis or superlative. It's akin to us saying the holiest of holies or the song of songs. In Hebrew, the word for king is melech. And when you say melech hamelachim, king of kings, you're not just doubling up for effect. 
you're elevating the subject to the highest conceivable level of greatness. It's like saying, if you think you know what a king is, think again. This is the king above all kings. The theological implications. This isn't just a linguistic point. It has deep theological implications. When the Bible calls Jesus the king of kings, it's making a statement about his divine nature. It's saying that his rule is not just supreme, but also ultimate. It's a rule that is not just over people and nations, but over all powers and principalities, as indicated in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. This Hebrew superlative also expands our understanding of the scope of Jesus' kingship. It's not just earthly or heavenly, it's cosmic. It's a kingship that encompasses all of creation, visible and invisible. Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 to 17 tell us that all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That's a kingship that goes beyond any human understanding of power and authority. What's even more amazing is the relational aspect of this kingship. In a typical earthly kingdom, subjects might never meet their king, but in Jesus' kingdom, the king of kings desires a personal relationship with his subjects. As John chapter 1 verse 12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This king doesn't just rule from a throne. He walks among his people and he calls them family. For us as believers, this Hebrew superlative is an invitation to expand our understanding and experience of who Jesus is. He's not just a king, he's our king. And his kingdom is not a distant realm, but a present reality that we're invited to participate in here and now. As Jesus says in Luke chapter 17, verse 21, For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. So when we delve into the original Hebrew, we're not just gaining academic knowledge. We're receiving spiritual revelation. We're not just learning about who Jesus is. We're being invited into a deeper relationship with the King of all kings. And that, my friends, is not just enlightening. It's utterly transformative. The Divine Blueprint From the moment of his birth, Jesus was marked as a different kind of king. Remember the Magi who came from the east? They were looking for the king of the Jews, as told in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 2. But Jesus' kingship was never about sitting on an earthly throne or ruling a geographic territory. His kingdom was designed in the corridors of heaven long before it was manifested on earth. One of the most striking aspects of Jesus' kingdom is its eternal nature. While earthly kingdoms rise and fall, Jesus' kingdom is everlasting. Daniel saw this in a vision as recorded in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 to 14, where he speaks of a kingdom that will never be destroyed. This is a kingdom without end, a realm that transcends time and space. Another unique feature of Jesus' kingdom is its inclusivity. Earthly kingdoms often have stringent citizenship requirements, but Jesus' kingdom is open to everyone who believes in him. As John chapter 3, verse 16 so famously declares, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This kingdom is not for an exclusive ethnic or social group. It's for the whole world. Jesus himself made it clear that his kingdom is not of this world. In his conversation with Pilate, recorded in John chapter 18, verse 36, Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. This is a kingdom that doesn't operate by the world's rules. It's a kingdom where the last are first, where the meek inherit the earth, and where peacemakers are called the sons of God. 
But here's where it gets really exciting for us as believers. This kingdom is not just a future reality. It's a present truth. When we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we become citizens of this kingdom. And as citizens, we're called to live by kingdom principles here and now. We're called to be salt and light, as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16, influencing the world around us with the values of the kingdom. And get this, we're not just citizens, we're co-heirs with Christ, as stated in Romans chapter 8, verse 17. That means we share in His authority and are called to represent His kingdom here on earth. It's not just about waiting for a future kingdom. It's about manifesting the kingdom here and now through lives of love, justice, and righteousness. So, when we talk about Jesus' kingdom being unlike anything we've seen on earth, we're not just making a theological statement. We're describing a reality that transforms how we live, how we relate to others, and how we engage with the world. It's not just a kingdom to look forward to. It's a kingdom to live in right here, right now. And that, my friends, is not just revolutionary, it's life-altering. Let's keep this heart-to-heart -heart flowing. You see, when we talk about the kingdom of God, we're not just diving into some abstract theological concept. This is a transformative reality that should ignite our souls and shape our daily lives. You know those aha moments, right? It's like the scales fall from your eyes, similar to the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. Acts chapter 9, verses 17 to 18. Suddenly, you're not just acknowledging Jesus as the King of Kings, you're experiencing His love, grace, and transformative power. It's like being born again, as Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verses 3 to 5. You start to see the world in a whole new light. The everyday kingdom. And let's get real here. Kingdom living isn't just for Sundays. It's for your Mondays at work, your Tuesdays at the gym, and every other day. As Colossians chapter 3, verse 17 says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. This is a 24-7 calling, folks. It's about being the salt and light Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16, the royal identity. Being part of God's royal family isn't about flaunting a title. It's about embodying a lifestyle. Remember, Jesus washed his disciples' feet in John chapter 13, verses 4 to 5. That's our model. Our royal identity isn't a ticket to lord it over people. It's an invitation to serve and uplift others, just as Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. Making waves in the kingdom. So what does it mean to make some waves in the kingdom? It means to be a catalyst for change, a beacon of light, and a vessel of God's love. Live in such a way that people can't help but notice there's something different about you. As Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16, You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The journey ahead. As we look forward to our next deep dive, consider this. Your life is not just a series of random events. It's a divinely orchestrated journey. You're part of a kingdom, part of a family, and most importantly, part of God's grand narrative. Just like Esther, you're here for such a time as this. Esther chapter 4, verse 14. So to wrap this up, I hope this conversation has not just informed you, but transformed you. Use this as a guide for your Bible study to enrich your walk with God. Keep chasing after God, become a God chaser, and let this kingdom reality be a part of every facet of your life. Cheers, and until next time, keep chasing after God. 
This episode of the God Chaser podcast is proudly sponsored by God Chaser Apparel, the clothing line designed to empower and inspire your spiritual journey. Are you a God Chaser at heart? Do you want to share your passion for pursuing God with the world? God Chaser Apparel has got you covered, literally. With a wide range of stylish, high-quality clothing and accessories, you can wear your faith proudly and spark conversations about your pursuit of God's presence. From bold statement tees to cozy hoodies, sleek hats, and much more, God Chaser Apparel has something for everyone. Plus, every purchase supports our mission to inspire and encourage fellow believers on their journey toward a deeper relationship with Christ. Visit godchaser.faith today to explore our collection and find the perfect piece to express your passion for God. God Chaser Apparel, where faith meets fashion and the pursuit of God's presence becomes a lifestyle. Don't miss out. Head to godchaser.faith now and start wearing your faith boldly. May you not just chase God, but find Him in the blessings big and small that He has in store for you. And there we have it, folks. Another episode of God Chaser wrapped up. We hope you've been blessed by today's discussion, and we look forward to diving into more life-transforming topics with you in the future. Stay blessed and keep chasing after God.